1 John chapter 3, I'll read. You just follow along, listen as you look at your copies of God's word. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for the sin is a transgression of the law. And, he, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And this, the children of God, excuse me, in this, the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this evening, the time to, to look at this important verse. Lord, in, in studying preparation, you know, my heart and, and others have looked at this. Lord, we recognize that this can be somewhat of a difficult verse to handle, understanding, but I think it's not impossible. I think that we look at it in its context and we see it. I think it's clear what it is that John is writing that you would have us see and know from your word this evening. So I pray for guidance and I ask humbly that you would have your guides, that right instruction be made, that the, the, the word would be rightly divided, that hearers would seek to apply God's truth to their life in a real and practical way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you ready? Verse 9. I'm kind of excited to finish these 10 verses. It's been kind of fun, but one verse at a time gets a little slow, doesn't it? So one more, one verse at a time, and then we'll, we'll move on with some, well, they won't be large chunks, but we've got some more to look at First John. Tonight, though, you know, when we consider the reality of the new birth, we recognize a number of things. The new birth, referring to not just the beauty of a small child that's been born, but we're talking about the spiritual birth, the new birth, being born sons and daughters of God. So, Salvation. When we consider that, we consider some marvelous truths, don't we? We've studied some of them. We've been reminded of them. Let me remind you of some. Sin brings about death. That's a trick, Pastor. He told us marvelous truths, and he told us something awful. It's marvelous because of what God has provided in place of that for us. And as sons and daughters of God, we are recipients of that salvation from that death. So the truth would be this, in, in short, in one sentence. Sin brought death. Here's a short, marvelous truth in short. Salvation brings life. There's life in salvation as opposed to death. Here's another one. The believer has new life in Christ. A fresh start, a new life we possess in Christ. These are all truths that 
this little letter of 1 John and, uh, and other scriptures teach us. And so in understanding this, we've been looking at a, a, uh, uh, a common theme in these 10 verses, and then verse 28 and 29 as well, chapter 2, and that is this. Sin is out of character for the new life that we have in Christ. It is, unor- it is unordinary. It is not normal. It's uncharacteristic. It's abnormal for the life of a Christian to continue in sin because sin is of the old life. Sin is of the old sinful nature. And so since we're born again, we understand that to keep reproducing something that's old that shouldn't be anymore is uncharacteristic of a believer's life. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and then also in verse 12, this. If you, if you don't turn there in time, I'll read it to you. It says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And then on down to verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. There's a battle that goes on in the Christian life. A battle of choosing who to be a slave to. Through salvation and all the intricate beauties of salvation that I won't delineate right here, right now, tonight. Because of the result of salvation and the freedom from sin, we're no longer enslaved to it. But we have the free will, we have the choice to continue in sin or to continue in righteousness, putting to death, mortifying the flesh and the sinful uh, uh, propensity that we have. So verse 9 here, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it really repeats the uh, impossibility of one who has been born of God to be committing sin, to continue in committing sin. Habitual sin, remember this? It's not that if you commit sin once or twice or a couple of times after salvation, or a couple of times a day, and you immediately take care of it, you're convicted of sin, you understand it's against God, and you just take care of it. This is not, this is not what, what John is speaking of. He's talking about this habitual life of sin. Choosing to continue to walk in sin, walk in sin, and walk in sin, and, and to not flee that. So again, John is contrasting the difference between the saved person and the, the unsaved person. Some would try to explain this as, well, it's talking about the difference between the old nature and the new nature and so on and so forth. And, God, and, and I believe what John is trying to explain to us is the difference between one who is a sinner that has not been born again, the unregenerate person, and the regenerate person, someone who has been saved. Okay? So the believer does not have the sin habit anymore. We don't have that have it, or I just can't help it, this is what I do, and I just can't stop it, and, and we don't have that anymore as believers. The believer does not definitely continue posit- or continuously and intentionally in sin in a habitual manner. This is not indicative of a Christian today, a born-again believer. And so look with me in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 9, this, this, this short verse here, as, as I want to help you. I want to I want to help bring understanding to this verse here. I want to help you see two wonderful truths that bring about an observably different behavior in the life of a believer. One verse, two truths that when those truths are lived out and recognized, when they're recognized really, 
it brings about in the life of a believer an observably different lifestyle than that of an unsaved person. So look at these two truths. The first one is this. The believer's salvation is retained. Amen? It is retained. The amen comes when the reality we realize it's not retained by our doing but by God. Okay? We are sealed under the day of redemption. Once saved, always saved, and can never lose salvation. Sin does not break that relationship. It only interrupts the fellowship. Still wrong. Whosoever is born of God. Here's the, the believer's salvation is retained. And this is a beautiful phrase to look at. Whosoever is born of God. Can you imagine? Just consider your salvation, dear Christians, this evening. This, this statement, whosoever is born of God, presents a comforting truth to us. Again, the word tense is particularly and, and helpful and important in understanding what's going on here. Look at these two words. Is born. This is why we slow down and look at one verse at a time for a minute. You'll love this. Look at this. Is born. This indicates an action completed in the past completed in a past time, in a, in, a, in, a, in a specific time of salvation, with a continuing present tense and result. A, a continuing present result. So something that happened once, but it continues on. Salvation once, salvation continues. And so the word tense here teaches us that this is an ongoing thing. Once saved, always saved. So consequently, the person who has been born of God was born again spiritually sometime in the past, and he or she remains a believer to this day. This is a beauty of salvation. James, my oldest son, his birthday, his 10-year-old birthday was Friday. I was reminded, what time is that, 3-something in the afternoon? 3.19 p.m., James was born into this world. Children are a gift, aren't they? Life is a blessing, isn't it? I think about all the events that surround that day, and I'm sure that my memory isn't as sharp and clear of that day as my wife's. It was 10 years ago. Come on, right? A lot of things happened that day. You know, James is the first grandchild on both sides of the family. James was my our first son. James bears the name of his great-grandfather, grandfather, and dad, James. James is our special boy. And James was talking to me the other day. He says, you know, Dad, birthdays are, birthdays are kind of neat. I'm like, yeah, yeah, son, I think they're kind of neat. And he goes, not to embarrass James, but he was saying this to me, I think, on Thursday night or something, right, James? He said, birthdays are kind of neat, Dad, because, because people don't forget about you, they think about you on that day. I'm like, okay, yep, there's some truth there. His dad's backpedaling his mind, thinking I'm not showing enough attention to my son here, what's going on? And he's looking for his birthday. In our household, we decided to wait until Monday, this coming Monday, to celebrate his birthday. So we only got to open one card. It just works better with our schedule th this way. So Monday, Dad gets to be home, and we're looking forward to his birthday. Why am I telling you all these things about my son's birthday, other than just making his face red and embarrassed tonight? Because in thinking about my son's birthday and in thinking about our spiritual birthday, I encourage you to think about your spiritual birthday. You know, when we celebrate my oldest son James' birthday tomorrow, 
we were reminded of the fact that he is my son. He's my wife's son. He's our son. He's part of our family. He was brought into this world through the conception that God has allowed into our family, and nothing will change the fact that he is my son. Oh, there's a lot of things that change in a world. Death can even separate us temporarily and earthly. We understand that. But nothing changes the fact that James is my son or any other of my sons or Autumn, my daughter. Neither me nor my son can ever decide him to be unborn. <laughs> I know we live in a weird postmodern world. We can, we just, the world teaches that we can wish and will things away. But no matter how much we declare him to not be born, he was born. My wife would attest to that. Okay? He can no longer be unborn. He can no longer not be my son. And you know what? Just in the natural way that our children are our sons or our daughters, or you are the son or the daughter of another, in a spiritual way, when one is born, the act cannot be undone. I don't know of any physical way in this world to date, in any sort of weird, strange way, that a child can be put back and restarted. It doesn't work that way, folks. As silly and disgusting as that sounds. And in a spiritual way, on such a high, more spiritual realm and way, once we are born of God, we remain his children forever. Nothing can destroy the relationship a believer has with his father. Nothing can destroy that relationship. We remember that, that that fellowship can be bruised, it can be interrupted, and it can be restored. But nothing can break and destroy that relationship. Remember, the sin that can interrupt it, but the Lord can take care of that. Nothing, though, can separate us from his loving relationship. Nothing can separate us from the union that we have with our Father because of Jesus. This is the, these are the children in whom John is referring to in chapter 3. In verse 9, this phrase, Whosoever is born of God... Then we see the truth. We understand the magnificent truth of being born of God. Amen for that. But then the truth is, if you genuinely are born of God, you do not commit sin. This creates a little bit of doubt in our heads a little bit. Like, what do I do about what I said and what I thought and what I did earlier and this and that in my life? And I remind you of this theme here. Okay, so first of all, we've seen the believer's salvation is retained. And then secondly, there's only two points tonight, so lastly is this. The believer's seed is remaining. And we need to understand, and this is where I try to give a little bit of explanation for you and help you understand in verse 9 what's being spoken of here. Verse 9 continues to show us that the believer does not definitely continue in sin. Verse 9 is here to, to show us that, that we do not continue habitually in sin as believers because, as the Scripture says, look at verse 9, his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. So the identification of the seed that you see here in verse 9, and its part in preventing the believer from sinning, is, shock and surprise, widely argued amongst students of scripture 
Some think that this seed refers to the new nature. Others would believe that, that they would hold a position that the seed refers to the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the, the Holy Spirit taking up residence at salvation. Still others um, would believe that the seed is speaking of the word of God that we know and the knowledge we retain. And to all these things, they say, hey, all those things are true. All of those things have truth in, truth in them. And I think, therefore, there's a possible explanation for all of this. And here's, here's where I've arrived in looking at verse 9. I believe you'll arrive there too if you understand, if you look at scripture the way I have this evening. I understand that the seed here refers to the new life that is imparted to the believer at the moment of salvation. The new life that is given to us. We are born again. We have a new life. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And I find what uh, another theologian has written this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a small excerpt. Uh, a man by the name of D- uh, Donald Burdick explains it well this way. Listen to this, quote, The seed, sperma, is that element in the process of reproduction which carries both life and the family characteristics. To use modern scientific terminology, the sperm is the bearer of the genes which transmit heredity. God's child does not continue in the practice of sin because by reason of spiritual heredity, this is contrary to his nature. The new nature that we have been given by God, as this theologian, I believe, has rightly hit the nail on the head to speak. The new nature we have received from God is a sinless, perfect nature. It is a righteous nature. And although we do possess the the will and the freedom to sin if we choose to do so, the characteristic of a born-of-God child is that which receives the characteristics of a sinless nature, the righteousness of God. And I think this helps us to fortify the reality that rather than being an excuse for the believer, rather than, oh, well, you know, eternal security, you know, I'll never lose my salvation, no matter what I do. And I say, amen. But it shouldn't be used as an excuse to go out and to live life however we want to, to continue in sin or to to, to commit whatever sin we want because the Lord will forgive me after all. I'll never lose my salvation. That's That's a horrible, egregious mistreatment of the truths of God. Rather than the reality of eternal security being an excuse, we need to understand that eternal security is a guarantee that we will not continue to go on in habitual enslaved sin in our lives. The Christian's relationship to and with with our Lord excludes the possibility of the continuance of, of a sin of sin in our lives the continuance this is the key the present tense continuous when John's talking about this in these 10 verses he's talking about a, a life of continued sin with no stopping no repentance no obvious change in abstaining from that so now some see sinless perfection um, in these verses they look at these verses and they go well, I, I just see perfection here, and we're not perfect. So if someone claims to be a Christian and they're not living an absolute 100% set-apart perfect life, therefore they're not a Christian. They're a liar. They're, they're speaking out two sides of the mouth. They're living a lie. This can't be true. Some see that here, and I, and I don't believe we'll see that. 
They see this sinless perfection as the uprooting, the annihilation of the old Adamic nature, the, the, the complete ceasing to exist of any, any measure of sin in a believer's life. And I just don't see that in this text, in this passage. Others say that if a believer fails in even one instance, he'll fall from grace or lose his or her salvation and will have to be saved all over again or he will miss heaven. What a, what a miserable life to live with that understanding. A miserable life. The Lord convicts one of sin and, you know, oh my God, Lord, please forgive me, save me. I, I'm so sorry I repent of my sin. Oh, whew, saved again, all right? Right before the Lord's return, you have another fleeting sinful thought. No, no, salvation's lost, no time, done. I've lost my place in heaven. What a, what a miserable life to live. And miserable because it's not biblical. A diligent student of the scriptures, one who studies the scriptures and finds what I believe we found here in verse 9, will find out that neither of these erroneous teachings exist in these verses or the scriptures as a whole for that matter. It's not what John is speaking of here. See, before salvation, the believer had the old Adamic nature, that's what, he, what we had. Adamic referring to the sin nature that's inherited from Adam and his sin. We possess this. We possess this. And then when we are born again, we receive a new nature from God. A brand new nature. We become new. A new creation. But we still possess an old nature. We still possess an old tendency and, and, and a bent in some ways. These two natures <clears throat> are at constant conflict within our lives. You ever felt guilt for sin? You ever been tempted ever to do anything? It's the presence, it's the reality, the manifestation, the presence of the old nature in our lives. And so there's effort that needs to be done here. There's a struggle that goes on. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentioned many times, and it's helpful to go to Romans chapter 7 and study verses 15 all the way through 25. And consider the Apostle Paul of all people, a champion of the faith, an extraordinary apostle that's given us so much in the Scriptures now, and the Lord is used in great ways. And right in the middle of Romans, the mountain peak of Scripture, he writes, about the struggle to resist the temptation of the old flesh in a life as a born-again believer. Romans chapter 7, 15 through 25. We won't take time to read all of those verses. But that passage describes the ever-present reality of this struggle in our lives. And so only as the believer looks to God and works to develop and mature, the Lord matures that new nature, well, he or she gained victory over the old sinful nature. We cannot be passive in this struggle in our lives. We cannot sit on our hands and say, well, I've been, I've been saved. Well, that means there's no more sin in my life. It's such a harmfully ignorant statement. There's still the existence of temptation towards sin, even though we have been made new. Do you remember last time in 1 John, I offered you a number, made an illustration, speaking of building a wall of defense against sin. Do you remember this? And I reminded you of a couple of building blocks, three of them, in fact. There were three building blocks that we could use as if they were brick and mortar to set up and build a wall of defense against sin in our lives. 
three of them. One of them was, block number one, was to abide in Christ. Continuing theme in 1 John. The second brick to use in our wall against offense was to confess individual acts of sin immediately when the Lord brings them to mind. And then thirdly was to walk in the light of God's word. But tonight I'd like to offer you a fourth, a fourth brick to use in our defense against sin in our lives as believers. And the fourth block to use in that defense would be this. Remember your salvation and the reality of your new nature. Remember that. If we had time here this evening, I thought about doing this last week, thought about doing it this week, and we don't have time tonight. We will probably do something similar to it on our New, uh, on our um, Christmas Eve service. A little plug for that. But to be reminded of the details around our salvation. To not forget when the Lord, the moment in time, the day in which the Lord has saved me, transformed me, given me new life, and I was born again. Remember those things. Remember the reality of the new nature, the presence of the new nature. It helps in our defense against temptation to sin. So, dear church, <laughs> Calvary Baptist Church, Christians preaching to you this evening, you will be effective in preventing the practice of sin in your life when you implement remembering your salvation experience and remembering the reality of the new nature. And the reality is what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, this, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. We cannot continue in habitual sin. Our lives must be and will be observably different than the lives of unregenerate sinners because of the new life we have in the Lord. Born-again children of God are observably different from the unsaved lost world. Maybe by way of application, and we're closing here in a moment, How may your behavior, how might your behavior in the world, outside of church, at home, workplace, by yourself, how might your behavior be, a, be evaluated by those around you? One of the things we talk about as Christians a lot of times is being a good witness, a testimony of what God has done in our lives. And if you might consider what the other people, what the world and what others around you are considering, how might they describe your life? Are they truly set apart? Are they truly different? Are they, is there anything that's observably different? Or is it something that we have to tell them to be able to convince them? You know, I wouldn't have known otherwise. Somebody, how would they observe? What would they observe in your life that would be noticeably different? Let's... Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this verse, this passage. Lord, thank you for um, the reminder of the significant reality of salvation and the new life. Help us 
to, Lord, as Christians, to be reminded of the new life means a life that is absent, uh, that is absent of the presence of habitual, continual sin. We understand that we will, com- we will constantly be at combat, warring against the temptation of sin. But it ought not to be in the life of a believer where it's just continual, repetitive, habitual, same thing. Sinning, sinning, sinning. Lord, we understand this side of heaven, there is no one that can be perfect. Although the perfect example is Jesus Christ as we look to him, I pray that we would continually grow into being Christians, sinners who are sinning less. Lord, I never want to take for granted if there's anyone here tonight that has not repented of their sins. It means agreed with you, felt the sorrow of their sin and knowing that it's against your perfect will. Pray if there's anyone that has not repented of their sins. They would turn to you in faith, trust in what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary, paying for those sins, the penalty. I pray that if there's anyone that has not done that and that would be willing this evening, would trust you today and be born again, receiving new life. Thank you, Lord, for these encouraging words. May we seek to continue to apply them to our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.